Hello and welcome to the Leading the Line podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Marshall. Um, hello. Uh, and we are back with another episode of There's Your Dinner, where we bring together a shared passion for football and food, whilst getting to know a familiar face from the world of Scottish women's football. Um, and this time I'm joined by a West Ham United forward and Scotland international. Um, she marked her national team debut with a double against Ukraine in the Pinotar Cup. She's played in the USA, France and now England. It's uh, Martha Tomlins. Martha, thanks very much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, it's um, it's a conversation we're having in some strange times. It's something that's nobody really wants to talk about that much, but it's on everybody's lips. How's how's life in lockdown been for you so far? Uh, yeah, obviously it's it's been it's been hard as a footballer. Um, you know, you just want to get out there and play football, and um, it's especially hard when you live such an active lifestyle and you you're forced to, you know, confine yourself to just being out and about for an hour um, and then figuring out ways to, you know, use your own equipment that you have uh, as workout tools. So it's definitely difficult, um, but, you know, you can't really sit here and complain when there's people putting their lives on the line um, to save other people's lives. And then there's people obviously who've, who've got the um, virus that's struggling health wise. So yeah, it's difficult, but at the same time, um, happy to be healthy and, uh, and that my family are healthy. Yeah, I think that's that's very much my take on it at the moment as well. It's it's weird, but it, it could be a lot worse. Um, in terms of when you kind of went into lockdown, was it something that the club asked you to do in the first instance, or was it a case of they were going by the the government advice in that in that respect? Yeah, I mean we um we got back from international break, and I I, I haven't been you know with the team since then, um just because that's that's the way it's worked. You know, it all kind of kicked off um while we were in Spain with Scotland, and then. When we got back, you know, we didn't we didn't get the chance to meet up with the squad and it was kind of self-isolation from that point. You know, they sent us um, in-home workout routines. Um, so we got some like circuit body weight sessions and then um, some runs that we we're able to do, you know, at local parks and whatnot. They told us to stay away from gyms just because that was advised by, you know, the the um, doctors to that. It was a bit of a, a dangerous place to go when, with contracting. So you know, they're just following following the health guidelines, um, listening to the FA about when things are going to start back up again. And um, yeah, just all on our own at the moment. But I think we're all doing a good job of making it work. Yeah, so we are, we are having this conversation via Skype, but we all know that Zoom's a thing, WhatsApp Messenger. I take it you've had a chance to kind of keep in contact with your teammates, even though you've not really been able to see them since you've been back. Yeah, we've got a good uh, WhatsApp group chat going on. Um, so we're in constant communication with, you know, our physios and um, our strength conditioning coaches who's sending out our workouts. And it's quite good because we're, you know, we're all sending videos or pictures of us doing the workout, which keeps that team spirit going, um, keeps the competitiveness of, you know, who finished the workout quicker or, or whatnot. And then obviously just like a bit of banter about how much how much we're sick of just running and not, you know, kicking the ball about. But it, it's funny and it's, it's good that um, you know our our spirits are still high as a team. No, that's that's good here. I've seen lots of teams kind of doing all kinds of stuff over the last couple of weeks, so I think it's great to see. And I think it's I think it's good to see as well from from a fans' perspective that these teams are all together in it, and I think fans bounce off of that as well, which is wonderful. And I think this is why I thought it'd be good to get you on, Martha, as well, because what I'd like to do with leading the line is try and get people a little bit of entertainment for maybe thirty minutes, forty five minutes, and. Uh, get to know some of the faces that maybe they don't know as well as maybe they'd like to. So, um, 
I think what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about your career, first of all, and then we're going to talk a little bit about food, uh, which I know I've been a bit vague about intentionally, but um, <laughs> it's, it's always a bit fun at the end of, at the end of it. But let's rewind right to the very, very start, Martha. In terms of um, your relationship with football, what's your kind of first memories of, of kicking a ball about? Yeah, so I think I started playing football as soon as I could walk. Um, so I have two older brothers who who were football players as well. Um, and my dad was a big, big football fan. And he'll say that he's pretty good, but it's probably not. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> so as soon as I could walk, you know, we were kicking a ball about in my back garden with my brothers and my dad. And I used to always, you know, somehow convince my brothers to drag me along to the park. Um, so I grew up in Dorchester and we used to go to the local park there. Um, and I would try and jump in with my brothers and their friends um whenever they would let me so yeah from very very young age I have been kicking a ball yeah I mean you've you mentioned growing up in Dorchester and we'll, we'll talk about Scotland a little bit later on but you moved to the USA quite young I think it was six if I remember rightly yeah five or six yeah is it something that you remember kind of happening or is it one of those things where you were kind of so young you just kind of went with the flow and you didn't you didn't really grasp what was going on until you were a little bit older yeah, I mean, I have I have uh, vague memories of packing up and us moving and us first getting to there. I mean, Florida um, is where I moved to when I moved to the United States. So obviously that's like a, a holiday place. You know, people have got when you think of Florida, you think of Disney World and beaches. So when your family tells you you're moving there, you're, you're probably pretty excited to get out of, of the rainy UK. But um, no, I mean, my, my parents say that me and my brothers are all really, really excited for it. Um, and we were sad to leave England just because, you know, friends and family. Um, I wouldn't be just down the road from from family anymore, which was going to be hard because, you know, we were, we were planning on moving there to stay for a while. So to move away from our distant family of grandparents, cousins, aunt and uncles and stuff was difficult. But um, overall, my family saw it. My parents saw it as a great opportunity for us as kids um, and for a better life for the family. Yeah, because obviously you stayed over there for a, a good period of time. See, when you were growing up as a, as a young girl growing up in the States, obviously the US national side are very well known for being very successful. They have a lot of, um, they do a lot of uh, good work in terms of politicising the women's game and try to grow it and make it as, as equal as possible. Is that something that you saw when you were growing up in the States a bit more than maybe if you would have done here? You know, I have some vague memories about it growing up, about hearing about women's football, but the thing that I always found with it is I was a very, my family was very much so a football family. Um, so, you know, we lived in America and it was a five or six hour time change from the UK. And, you know, we, we watched the Premier League every morning. We would wake up at seven or six o'clock on a Saturday morning to get the Premier League matches um, and the same again on a Sunday. So we very much so followed more of the Premier League, the men's football side of it. So growing up, I don't think... I particularly followed women's football at all, if I'm going to be honest with you. Um, we would hear about the U.S. women's national team just because of the success that they had. Um, and there was a couple of times where we actually met a couple of the players. There was connections with my club that I, I played for um, and some of the U.S. national team players were brought in. And then as I got older and, you know, you get more you get more exposure to social media and things like that. Um, I definitely then started picking up watching and following the U S women's national team and went to some games, um, whenever they were locally problem is, is the United States is absolutely massive. So mm. it's every, every many years that you would get the chance to, to play, to watch them play unless you're flying all over the place. But yeah, definitely the, the women's national team is, is probably the biggest, um, when it comes to football in America, 
Um, it's much bigger than the U.S. men's national team. And um, there are, unfortunately, other sports that uh, oversee football, um, as in American football, basketball and baseball. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, in terms of then, you, you mentioned your club side there. So when did you? You mentioned you also just always remember kicking the ball. When did you start getting involved in kind of club football then? When you were over there. So when I was when I was in England, I had to play for a boys team. I played for Dorchester Town, and there was no girls team, so I was the only girl on um, on the boys team there. And you know, I enjoyed that because my my dad would hear parents on the sidelines saying, "Why is there a girl playing?" And then. I think I would do something that was actually quite good and, and the parents would kind of just pull a face and I, my dad, I don't know, I have no memory, but my dad always says that he would just stand there and, you know, wait for something to happen so we could look at them and be like, shut up. Um, <laughs> but so that was that. was that. And then when I moved to uh, America, I, there was loads of opportunities to play. You know, the local club was five minutes down the road from my house. So I played there from, it starts under nine. So I must have started playing there when I was eight. Um, I can't remember what I did in between from six to eight, but um, yeah, eight years old, I played at my club, Western FC, um, and I pretty much played there my entire youth career until I left university. Um, so there was great opportunity there. It was a massive club. There was it was like three or four girls teams per age group. So it was really, really well supported. Um, there was loads of opportunity to play um, and it was great for, for development wise. Yeah, you've mentioned that you, you went to university, University of North Carolina in the Charlotte 49ers, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, but um, can for people that maybe aren't familiar with the collegiate system, I'm not big into my American sports, I have to say. It's not something that you mentioned, baseball and basketball and American football. I, I'll watch them if they're on, but I'm not massive into it. What, what's your take on the collegiate system in terms of how that helps your development as a footballer and maybe in a wider sense as well? Yeah, I think it's great. Um, you know, university in America is very expensive. Um, it can cost up to twenty to thirty thousand dollars a year. So you're talking about a four-year degree. Uh, I mean, that, that's eighty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars that you could be looking at just to get a bachelor's degree. Um, so the opportunity to be an athlete in college, you know, you can get university completely paid for. So you get sports scholarships. So you grow up playing football. Um, you get recruited by the coaches to universities you end up signing to agree to play for that university. Um, you play for them for four years and you get a degree out of it for free. So for me, it's an absolute no-brainer to do it. Um, I think it's it's an amazing opportunity. You, you learn a lot about yourself as a person uh, in college and you have a lot of you have a lot of freedom to you know figure out who you are. And um, I definitely had an absolute amazing experience and you know, the hard thing that football players have to think about is life after football. So for me to know that I've got a bachelor's degree um, and something that I'm quite passionate about, uh, I do exercise science. So I'm into like the the PT and a bit of physio um, therapy, stuff like that. That's big for me because, you know, I've got a backup plan because football doesn't last forever as much as we would hope it would. Um, so I think it's great for, you know, to have a plan afterwards and to already get that um, plan in place by having a degree is a big help yeah I, I think it's something that I, I'm always intrigued to see and I was, I'm glad you kind of asked you kind of volunteered what your major was because I was going to ask about it anyway um, <laughs> but I mean you had a successful spell in the state I think you left as uh, the all-time goal scorer for the University of North Carolina when you look back at that kind of that whole experience of playing college football do you think that's something that 
that helped you? Maybe is it if you were maybe playing still in England or, or maybe if you'd been playing in Scotland by that point, uh, where it was maybe a little bit more local playing college football, do you think that helped expand your horizons a little bit? I think it definitely did. I mean, if, you, if I think back to the kind of player I was before I went to university, um, I didn't quite express myself the way that I I did when I was in college. And I don't know what exactly clicked, if it was just, you know, I had the right manager, if I was in the right place, if I had the right teammates around me or what, or if I just, you know, peaked. But when I got there, I just feel like I kind of transformed into a new player. Um, and I think that really, really helped kickstart um, the player I am today, which I'll always, you know, be grateful for. Um, so to be able to develop, you know, you're there for four years. You can transfer schools if you want to and if it's if it's mutual. Um, but, you know, I played at a university that supported me um, and, you know, I gave everything I had to that university for four years. And on the on the back end of it, I ended up, you know, having some accolades behind my name, which I never expected would happen if you asked me when I was a freshman going into there I never thought that, that would be the kind of career I had but you know it was definitely a, a dream come true and I, I loved every minute of it and I'm very grateful for the for the opportunity that um Charlotte 49ers gave me I know that um with particularly with American football that some of the the college and university sides have massive followings what kind of following did college soccer get in, in the states in terms of the women's game yeah, I mean, it was definitely, um, it depended on the university you went to, actually. So there's different conferences within the university. Uh, so there's, there's there's different divisions, and within those divisions, there's different conferences. So Division One is the top conference, sorry, top division, um, and then within different conferences. So I played probably a mid-conference um, where we, you know, we would get uh, a few hundred fans on games, and you're talking about a Friday night would be a lot more because you get loads of students to come. Um, you get other student athletes that play other sports at the university to come um, and then lots of family members that were nearby or my family. And you know, I was lucky that my parents um, came to a lot of my games, despite it being quite a far distance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're at a top, top university and a top conference, you could be getting thousands of, of fans every game, um, which wouldn't which wouldn't be surprising at all for women's football. And then, I mean, if you look at American football, men's mm. and american basketball men's you're talking thousands and thousands of people you know stadiums that fit eighty thousand um people every single weekend your college american football and college basketball is is a huge revenue maker which um is great for for sports like women's football because without those you know they wouldn't be able to give scholarships to women's football fans who only get those few hundred fans yeah, I always think that there's, there definitely must be some learning to be taken from the, the kind of the fandom that get, gets generated by American kind of college sports that maybe can translate other places. But you, but you kind of obviously finished up university. Um, you had a, an ACL injury, was that right? Be kind of was it towards the end, or where, where did that come into the time, the timeline for you? It was the exact end. Uh, it oh. was my. I was in the. We made it to the conference final to the championship. My senior year, so my last year of university, it was the last game. If we'd won, we could have played another game. Um, but, yeah, I tore it at halftime, um, which was obviously absolutely devastating. Uh, yeah. You know, people said, well, at least you did it at the end and you got to finish off your career. But for me, it was more than that because, you know, I had aspirations to play professionally, um, which was, you know, that was tough for me to to accept. It's the last thing you ever want to hear as a footballer that you've torn your ACL because that's at least nine months that you're sitting out. So, 
you know, I had aspirations to try and be drafted into the NWSL. Um, my plans were to stay locally in America at the time, just close to family and friends. Um, so that completely took that off the table for me for that season, just because I wouldn't have been back in time. I wouldn't have been healthy until, you know, the next October. Um, so I just, you know, I had my surgery. I did my rehab and um, and then opportunities just started coming about. Luckily, my career that I had at Charlotte uh, with some accolades beh- behind me, you know, helped build my player cv or whatever you want to call it so yeah yeah so i mean i'm glad you kind of brought that up because the, the next move was uh, to france with Liar in uh, Ligue 2 how how did that one come about was it a case of they approached you or how, how did that kind of end up being the case where you, you moved to france as your next step it was really random i actually had no idea what i was going to do um i was looking I thought it was going to be difficult for me to get into the NWSL now at that point, just because there's, there's little teams, there's, um, you know, there's only a certain amount of players they bring in. And with the draft, that kind of gets all their new players that they're looking for. So if you're not drafted, it's difficult to, to get in. So I was looking abroad at this point um, and I was actually looking at the championship um, in England. And, you know, I spoke to a few coaches and had a few opportunities come about, but a lot of them, you know, funding wise, I couldn't play until mid-season just because of my rehab still going on um so that was difficult opportunity wise with them and then I had a random message from Le Havre they reached out to me they had a scout based in the U.S. that tries to find um European players that have played in college and see if they're interested in playing abroad and you know I was very interested and they were going to bring me in straight away for preseason, and I was just going to rehab until I was fit to play so you know I went in with everyone else and in June and July and rehabbed all the way through until October um, when I was fit and cleared to play. And, and then I just finished off the season there with them all the way through until what must have been May. And how, in terms of the change from the US and obviously the way the, the kind of football you've been playing there to, to move into France, how, how did that change kind of go for you? Yeah, it was, um, it was very different, you know, in the US, especially in the, the collegiate system, it's very athletic. It's, it's fast. People, the girls, are, like I said, they're extremely athletic. They're extremely fast. It's it's probably a little bit less technical than it is in Europe. Um, so, you know, moving to France, it was much more tactical based and technical based. Um, it was very difficult language barrier wise. I didn't speak a word of French um, at all. So, you know, that was that was difficult. But Luckily, I had a lot of my teammates. or We had a lot of English-speaking teammates, um, whether it was Americans or there was quite a few British girls that were there. Um, so, you know, we had a really good team environment. Um, the coach didn't speak much English, which was difficult, but it was a really good transition for me just coming back from rehabbing for – I rehabbed for a total of 11 months. Um, so that was really good a transition. You know, it was League 2. It wasn't as competitive as a league. It wasn't – I wouldn't say it was as competitive – um as college I would say it was much more competitive in the university setting there so it was a really good transition for me to be coming off an injury to try and get fit again to try and you know move up to the next step of of playing in a league one whether that was in France whether that was in England or wherever that opportunity came about yeah and I mean by all accounts was that a pretty successful spell in France and you got the opportunity to to move to West Ham at the start of this season, we'll still call it this season. We don't know what's going to happen, but we'll still call it this <laughs> season just now. Um, how's how's life been in the in the WSL then this season for you? It's probably been a bit up and down for West Ham. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah. So I mean, it was a dream come true when um, I got the opportunity to come to England. You know, that's what I've 
if you asked me when I was I don't know what age came about where I really wanted to play professionally but if you asked me then if I was playing in WSL against you know top top players in the world um, I would have been thrilled so to get that opportunity and now to be at West Ham you know I've absolutely loved my time there we've got a great group of girls I love playing um, under my manager Beardy Um, I think he he really knows how to get the best out of me as a player um, which is always exciting Um, and yeah it's been a bit up and down individually for me and then collectively as a team you know I've had a couple of niggly injuries which have just been frustrating um and then result wise you know we've been quite up and down um but you know we've really stuck together as a unit and we always if we have a bad result we always know how to bounce back and you know stay together um it's just about finding that consistency um as a, as a team to be getting wins week in and week out which hopefully when the season starts back up we'll uh, we'll get back to yeah, and in terms of the WSL in general, obviously there's been quite a lot of money kind of put towards it, and lots of lots of money getting put into women's football at the moment. But WSL seems to have certainly turned it up a notch this year. Um, obviously Chelsea brought in Sam Kerr. Do you think that from your experiences uh, down there at the moment, do you think that the WSL is starting to try and position itself as maybe one of the go-to leagues across the world, even challenging the NWSL? And obviously you've got teams like Lyon spending a lot of money in league and. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think just looking at the the league, um, the amount of top players that are in this league, and like you said, Sam Kerr coming in, top top players in the world that are wanting to come over to England because it's competitive. You know, you've you've got a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of leagues, women's leagues. It's there's a huge gap between top three and you know below. But I think in the English league, like you'll find that it's competitive throughout. Like you could play the last team in the table and you still know that you, you as a team you need to give 100% because you don't know what could happen which I think is exciting and I think people want that competitive environment um, and I think you know it is becoming more foreign in the WSL you've got a lot of players from Germany from France coming over um, I think it's a shame that a lot of the US based players try to stay in the US just you know that's probably to be fair to them to try and continue to build the league in the NWSL I think it would be exciting uh, if a few of them came over as well to you know to test themselves to make our league stronger um but obviously i can understand if the nwsl wants to to grow that way but i do i would agree with you yes i think um definitely top players want to play in the the wsl because it is exciting and it is competitive yeah i think the competitive is definitely one of its kind of strong features when you look at the leagues across the rest of europe at the moment you've mentioned the nwsl a few times obviously that was your kind of your starting point in terms of where you thought you may be able to go would be somewhere you'd like to play in the future you know I'd never I'd never say no to an opportunity but I'm definitely very comfortable playing in England um I've actually got more family in the UK than I do now in the US it's just my parents and my my brother that are back in the US um so I definitely can see my life staying um in the UK I can see you know myself staying here permanently to be honest with you and I'm, I'm really happy playing in this league so I don't think um I would have a huge, huge interest in to go into the NWSL, but, you know, you never know. And I'll never say never because, you know, I never thought I'd be where I am now. So if opportunities come about, um, I'm usually quite open to, to new experiences and um, seeing how things go for me and testing myself in different environments. Yeah, and I think being open to new experiences, I think is a trait that everybody should embrace a little bit. I think especially once we get to the back end of all of this. But um We've talked about England, we've talked about France, we've talked about the USA. Let's let's talk about Scotland a little bit. Um, 
Obviously, you made your debut at the Pinatar Cup. It, it wasn't the first call up, though. Obviously, injuries kind of scuppered your first call. When did you first become aware of the fact that you were on Shelley's radar? Shelley and I have actually been in contact for, for quite a while. Um, funnily enough, I had a connection. Um, one of her, either one of her friends or one of her old teammates, Angie Hind, who coaches in the US at Old Dominion University, who, which was in my conference. So I played against her um, all four years. Um, once, one time after a game, she just came up to me and she said, are you Scottish? And I said, yeah, I'm half Scottish. Um, my mum's Scottish. And, and, and she was like, OK, I am quite close with the Scottish manager, Shelley Kerr. I think, I think she should really be looking at you. And I think if you're interested, just have a conversation with her. And for me, I was just kind of really taken aback. I had no idea that that was even a thing. You know, at the moment, my head was just screwed on for playing for Charlotte. And um, that's all I focused on. I wasn't really always looking so far ahead. Um, so, yeah, she got us in contact um, and I spoke to her for a while. And then obviously the ACL put a huge damp on everything and kind of just pushed me back a whole year. So things slowed down at that point when I came back rehabbing, um, told her I moved to France. Uh, she she wanted me to be playing in a bit of a more competitive league, which was fair enough. Um, but she sent a scout out to watch me uh, pre-World Cup, uh, which was exciting. And that quite didn't quite work out, um, which was fine. I was happy to stay patient. You know, I wasn't that bad. I wasn't that um long back from from my injury at that point so kept going got a move to WSL told her she was really she was thrilled for me and kept an eye on me then and had a few more conversations with her and um at that point she was she was really keen on getting me into a camp um so I went to a training camp uh we didn't have any games or anything that was back in what must have been September I think so that was just a a five-day training camp a good opportunity for me to actually meet Shelly finally meet the girls you know, be in that environment. Um, and at that point, um, you know, I was I was also in conversation with Phil Neville. I'd just, I'd just been back from a US 23 camp in, in March. So it was all very up in the air um, about what was going to go on. But, you know, the moment I went to that camp with Shelley and met the girls, I was really, really keen um, on staying on, you know, playing for Scotland. So I ended up picking the phone call up to, Sh- to Shelley and said, I really enjoyed myself. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I'd love to play for Scotland. Um, you know, told the connection I had with the US and England as well that I'd made my decision. Um, and then I got called into the the camp for Albania. Uh, unfortunately, that was one of the little niggles I picked up. I picked up a, a foot injury um, where I had to pull myself out of that um, just pretty much as precautionary. It was a, a stress reaction. So you have to make sure you don't get stress fractures so that was really frustrating for me because I felt fine physically, but it was it was a risk if I kept playing. So I had to pull out of that. And Shelly understood and she agreed that she thought that was best for me. So and she she said there'll be more opportunities when you get back fit. Just, you know, keep playing. So, again, that was something else that just seemed like another delay, which as a footballer is frustrating. Um, but, you know, I put my head down, kept working hard um, and then came back fit and got the call to um, go to the Pinatar Cup, which I was absolutely thrilled about and stayed healthy and was was in decent form when I went out there and and yeah had the opportunity to um play for Scotland and get my debut finally international which felt like a long time coming but you know everything happens for a reason so it worked out the way it did yeah I think I remember seeing a tweet where you kind of was it was it yourself in like a Scotland top and it was obviously you after you made your debut um and I just thought that was a really nice kind of obviously kind of journey to, to kind of look at but how, how was it out at the Pinotar Cup? Obviously, you, you started against Ukraine and got a double. Um, I think it's probably fair to say the first goal, you got a lot of help um, from the defence. 
Um, yeah. But in terms of like standing there for the first time in a national team jersey, I mean, how did that feel? Yeah, it was it was absolutely it was surreal for me. I had no expectation that I was going to start um, first game at all. You know, I went in there, you know, trying to tell myself, don't put any pressure on yourself, just enjoy it, soak it all in, um, really enjoy the moment. And I was lucky enough to have my family in the crowd as well, which was another really special moment for me. Um, so yeah, just to pull on pull on that shirt and and hear you know in the national anthem and seeing along and stand by my teammates was a really really proud moment for me. Um, and then to get my first goal, which yes was very gifted and it was an open net and all I could think in my head at the time was oh my god don't miss don't miss don't miss. <laughs> um, but luckily it rolled into the back of the net and I was it was a bit surreal and I I, I don't know when it actually even hit me that I'd done it probably not for a few days later. Um, but yeah I was it was an amazing uh, definitely dream come true for me and obviously the, the situation that is now it means that the the qualifiers that were not coming in april against albania and portugal there sorry cyprus and portugal i should say um they're obviously now kind of on hold um it's another kind of slight delay for you is that a little bit frustrating after coming off the back of a tournament like that where scotland have done very well obviously winning three out of three and yourself getting getting a few goals it's is it again another kind of just you think to yourself i've overcome these hurdles before it's just another one to get over when when we're back Definitely. And this is um, all the hurdles I got over before, but probably a little bit more individual. This is much more collective, um, which which could be harder to come back from. But I think when you've got such a strong squad like we have and a really good you know, team environment, um, I think I think the whole world is trying to can't wait to get back to normal. But um, I think definitely it's just a little uh, bump in the road. But, you know, there's always adversity that's going to be thrown at you, especially as a footballer. Um, so I definitely don't think it would be too much of a problem to get back in form as a team um, and individually as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure we're all looking forward to it as well. In terms of the squad, it's obviously very competitive. I think it's probably the most competitive Scotland women's squad I've ever seen in my time. I, I take it your integration was, was all good. And I'm, I'm assuming you probably bumped into some of the players over the course of the season um, playing in WSL as well. Definitely. Um, you know, I've I'd known a few of the girls beforehand, just a few of the girls actually had come up to me um, and introduced themselves, which I thought was great. I hadn't actually even played for Scotland yet. And, you know, on the our last game in the WSL, uh, Christy Murray actually came up to me and introduced herself and she was like, see you next weekend kind of thing, which I think just like, you know, we just beaten them. So to see that like team environment with Scotland and show how close-knit they are um in that sense and just they they made me feel very very welcome um and you know I didn't feel a bit out of place at all um the girls are always up for a chat you know everyone's always checking in on everyone which is I think it's a really really strong environment that they've created throughout the years um and I definitely think you know the strength of the team you know it's a hard team to get into um that's why I was actually so shocked that you know I got the opportunity to start um two out of the three of the games so I was really pleased with that and um, I just can't wait for, for the world to get back to normal and to, to keep kicking on and playing for Scotland. Me too. Me too. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, that's that's lots of football chat and that, that was wonderful to hear. But let's let's change pace a little bit and let's talk about food, which feels particularly poignant at the moment since food is obviously a, a commodity <laughs> people are talking about quite a lot. Um in terms of in terms of food, how do you rate yourself on the foodie scale or like a one to ten? What's your what's your feelings on food? Um, I'd probably go above 10. I'm an absolute huge food lover. Um, oh, love it. Love it. <laughs> people are always a bit amazed about the amount of food that I eat. Uh, and then they're, they're a bit confused why I'm not massive. But, um, 
yeah, no, I really, really enjoy my food. Um, I love cooking. My mom's a really, really good cook. Um, so I learned a lot from her and yeah, I love, I just love trying new things, making new things. And then best of all, just, just eating it. <laughs> I mean, eating it is always the best. I'm, I'm myself, I, I like, like a wee cook, but yeah, eating it's always the best bit. Um, so what, what we'll do is we'll go through like your kind of day and then we'll do a little bit of kind of like favourites kind of stuff. So the, one of the first questions I always ask in this section is, because I always think it's a good way to just kind of get your head around the kind of person you're speaking to is, what's what's your breakfast in the morning? So what what would you normally have for your breakfast of a, of a day? So that's going to mainly depend on what i got to do that day and if if i've got training you know i've got to eat a bit healthier um so i'll make um i usually tend to make an overnight oats um, which i think is quite easy especially if we've got training quite yeah. early and i got i've got to commute to training so i'll pop you know i just get a, a tupperware put some oats some milk um and then some few other little bits on top put some chia seeds honey put some frozen fruit in there um, and you just kind of mix it all together and you pop it in the fridge and then in the morning you grab it and, and you go and it's really easy just to, to eat that way. There's no prep you have to do at all, um, which I find really convenient and it's very, very healthy on that sense too. And when you don't have a match? <laughs> um, well, I love, um, I'm, I'm really guilty of absolutely loving just some beans on toast with some sausage or bacon and egg. Um, I definitely, definitely limit myself to that just because you can't quite be eating that every day and expecting um, good results on a football pitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. It's um, it's obviously a bit of a, a weird time just now. We kind of touched on it earlier on in, in terms of like what what you came back to in terms of planning from the coaching staff at West Ham. Do you have you been given like a a nutritional guide to kind of work off of? And do West Ham have a nutritionist at, at the club? We don't specifically have nutritionists, but we have um, nutrition websites that we can use where you can find how you can find you can get meal ideas from um, you can, you know, those ideas. You can actually watch a video on how to make it um, just healthy tips. If if you, you feel like you're struggling with certain things in your diet, there's a way to pinpoint extra things to add. So we worked closely um with our strength and conditioning coach with that and with our physios as well who all have a bit of background on nutrition um and they you know they really help us but I've always quite I've always been all right personally individually with myself with my meal planning um I think maybe my education uh, in university helped with that so I've always been um quite knowledgeable in that sense of the kind of things I need to be fueling my body with um and then reminding myself that it's all right to be a normal human and enjoy food as well sometimes which I think is really really important to have a good balance with that yeah a balance I think is massive in that respect so in terms of let's think about I know there isn't any match days just now but if we put our match day head on obviously West Ham sometimes you have to go up to you know, Liverpool Manchester what's your match day meal process like is it is it kind of routine or does it depend if you've got a long away day or if you're at home yeah, it definitely depends. You know, if we're away, all our meals are, are catered for. And when we're home, which I actually like a lot better, you have your own responsibility of food, um, which I personally like a lot more because, you know, we've been we've been playing football for, for 20 odd years now. We know how we know what our body needs and what our body likes and what our body responds well to um, food wise. So the moment someone else is putting something in front of you and you're kind of like, well, I don't like that. 
and I've got a match to play and now I've got to eat something I don't like, I think that's quite difficult. So I definitely, um, I stick to usually the same pregame meal. And when we're away on an away trip, they really take in things that we like. So there's lots of different options that pretty much fulfill a lot of needs. You know, there's in football nowadays, there's a lot of vegans and vegetarians and pescatarians as well, which you have to think about. Um, but West Ham, I would say, really, really cater to the needs of all individuals on our team, which I think is really important. And what's your kind of, if you are, which, when you're planning your own meals in, what, what do you kind of lean on in terms of your match day prep? Yeah, so I'll, obviously carbs are going to be most important. So I'll get my carbs in either, um, you know, rice or pasta. Um, and then I make sure to get um, quite a lot of vegetables in as well. And then usually a lean protein. I usually um, have chicken or uh, sometimes fish, but mostly, usually I make uh, chicken pesto pasta. Um, with some tomatoes and veg, which is always pretty much my go-to um, pre-game meal, which you end up, you know, kickoffs at like three o'clock, you end up eating at about 11 o'clock, which is always odd timing. Um, but yeah, I, that's usually, you know, three and a half hours before a match, I'll, I'll have that. And then um, when, when you don't have to train or if it's the off season, what's, what's your kind of cheap meal of choice? So if you kind of, you've mentioned the fact it's good to have balance and not to deprive yourself too much. If you have like a in your head, you just go, I want to have my blowout. What what would it be? Um, definitely pizza or a burger. Definitely my my guilty pleasures. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Any particular kind of types or anywhere you particularly go for them at all? Um, it varies. I've I've been doing since I've been living in London. I've been doing the GBK, the Gourmet Burger Kitchen, um, quite a bit, and you know they've got quite a few ones that I like. Um, usually the more toppings inside the better so I love like avocado and a fried egg and a burger to me there's nothing yes. better or yes, hash brown egg. in a burger nothing better why would yeah. you not want breakfast in a burger <laughs> no the reason why I ask that is what I always like to do is a wee joke is I like to say hi Gourmet Burger Co if you would like to give Martha some free burgers that'd be awesome thank you very much um, <laughs> but yeah no I'm totally on board with fried eggs on a burger it is oh yes no brainer for me Absolutely. Um, in terms of like, then let's move into kind of favourites. We've, we've obviously kind of touched on that a little bit. Uh, what's if you were to kind of get abandoned on a desert island and you got told there was only one item of food that you could take with you? Um, what what would it be? Ooh, um, hmm. Well, I'd probably want to live, so I'd probably have something a bit healthier. You know, I'd probably <laughs> I'd probably go with like stir fry. To be honest with you, I would say that's usually my go-to. I'm always pretty adamant and, you know, putting a protein, a carb and vegetables in somehow. So I think a stir fry is always a really good, easy way to incorporate all three of those. So I think meal group wise choice would probably be stir fry. Stir fry. So that'd be your like one thing rest of your life. That'd be stir fry. Yeah, because you can, yeah, you can change it up a lot. You know, if I sat here and said, okay, a burger, I think on day three, day four, you'd probably be like, right, I'm absolutely going to be sick to my stomach now. But I think on a stir fry, you could, uh, you could survive a long time off that because there's different variations of it. Cool. I, I like asking this question because I always get different takes on it. My favourite is still Yazoo. That's been my favourite answer so far. But it's yes. been what? Yazoo likes a, a, bit of, a bit of milkshake, a big banana milkshake. Uh, <laughs> I'm with um, you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and let's flip that the other way around then. So say if you arrived in a desert island and the food you just couldn't stand in the world was sitting there and you're like, oh no, I'm going to have to die because I, I can't eat this. Is there anything like that that, that you have in the in your world? Oh, absolutely. Tuna fish. 
like so tuna in a can. Oh, right, okay, I was going to ask. Yeah, no, like people who just put eat tuna sandwiches or just slab a bit of tuna on the end of salads and stuff. No, I can't do that. That, that does not appeal to me at all. The look uh, yeah. of it, the taste of it and the smell of it just completely puts me off. What about um, tuna outside of a can? Tuna fish, actually, all right. Like I love, I like sushi a lot, so I'll eat, I'll eat raw tuna. Um, I don't know if I've ever actually eaten cooked, had cooked tuna yeah. or not. Um, but I definitely have raw tuna fish in um, sushi. Just definitely not in a tin with whatever's in it, mayo or uh, no. No. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of with you. I, I don't mind a can of tuna when I'm like um, making pasta or something like that, but see tuna meal sandwiches, cannot get on board with that at all. Yes, yeah, so if someone's opening a tin of can, a tin of tuna, I will move to the other side of the room. That's that's <laughs> my that's my hatred for it. Okay, so pro stuff by not so pro cans of tuna. That's that's yes. all good to know. Right, I'm going to ask you a very Scottish specific question now. Um, Tunnocks make four products. Which is the uh, the snowball, the caramel log, the tunnock's tea cake, and the caramel wafer. If you could only pick one of them, what one would it be? Tea cake. Okay. Definitely. And uh, to quote to quote one of my my colleagues, show you're working. Um, why why would it be tea cake? Okay, when when I'm thinking tea cake, I'm thinking of the chocolate with yeah. the cookie bottom and the marshmallow fluff in the middle. Are we on yeah, the same exactly. page with that? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Just. The the combination of all three um, does it for me. I'm all right with the caramel wafers, to be honest with you, but I think I think the taste gets a bit boring. Whereas you've got the the tea cake, there's a bit, you know, a few more things going on there, so it's a bit more. Oh, I've got a bit of cookie, I've got a bit of chocolate, or I've got a bit of marshmallow, so it keeps it a bit more exciting. And that would be, be my take. And are you aware of the kind of subculture behind the wrapper? Like, do you roll the ball, the wrapper up into a wee ball, do you flatten it out, or do you just don't even think about it? No ball. I'm I'm in the ball, but I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, this is a yeah, this is a a massive thing. Anytime I speak to somebody about tea cakes, this this comes up. It's like flat and rolling. Okay. So we ball. That's cool. That's definitely a ball for me. Yep. So you've lived in France, the UK, the US. Here's a big question for you. In your opinion, which one has the best food? Oh. I'll be honest with you. I really, really enjoyed my food in France that was one thing that I really started to appreciate you know they have cheese and bread with absolutely everything um so yeah I would I would say France had some really good food they had um really good meats really good fish you know I lived in Le Havre which was on the coast so they had they had some fantastic we would go out to eat quite a bit because it was cheap as well um so I would definitely say France even though I only lived there for less than a year be, I mean, yeah. No, I, I, I used to live in Spain, so like a bit of a Mediterranean, that kind of vibe in terms of, you mentioned just like one one or two things, but it's just always like so good to have. So yeah, uh, I'll give you France. I think that's a pretty fair shout. Um, yeah, they've got, they, they were quite good at, you know, they've got their cheese and their meats, you know, like the the charcuterie, charcuterie boards, um, yeah. which is a big plus. And then they also, they like to have about six meal courses as well, which I always be up for you know you 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 go there and do a <laughs> fixed menu and six plates later you're like right keep them coming yeah i was uh, i was over for the world cup and uh, i didn't quite grasp that at first and then i kind of got got my head around it eventually yeah. more courses is good by me let's be honest <laughs> <laughs> um i tell you what one final question martha so 
if you were to give any recommendations for anywhere you've, you've been to eat in the past kind of year or so, is there anywhere that's really stood out in your head and you're like, do you know what, if somebody asked me for a recommendation, I would say, yeah, go there. Yeah, so um, I live in London and I, so I'm, when it comes to food for me, like I'll, if I'm at a restaurant with someone and I'm always like, would you want to go half seas? Because both of these things on the menu sound quite good. So I'm really, really big on having a bit of a few things so borough market for me um in london is an amazing place to go you know you can go for lunch and there's probably hundreds of different foods you can choose from and you can get loads of little bits of everything um so definitely for me that's going to be my number one choice there borough market yeah i'm a big fan of just like lots of stuff and just eating your way through lots of bits of stuff and then getting to the end but yeah borough markets a cool place to hang out for a few hours. I'll agree with that one. Well, Martha, thank you very much for coming on. It's been super appreciated. Um, oh, thanks for luck. having me. It's been great. No, nah, no problem at all. Best of luck for the rest of the season whenever it comes back in whatever form it comes back in. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, the other ones. They're all there. Just uh, go to Leading the Line on Twitter. It's at Leading the Line. Go to the website, www.leadingtheline.com. And um, once again, Martha, thank you very much for coming on. Yep, thank you. I appreciate it. And we'll speak again to everybody soon.